all the way through chapter two, and I, I don't know that we'll get all the way through that. Um, uh, and uh, so we'll see. We got uh, Resurrection Sunday coming up, so make sure you invite friends for that two weeks from today, I think. And uh, but be in prayer for, as you know, I'm going, we're going through sciatic nerve uh, back issues, and uh, me and my missus, she's got her pacemaker's too close to her shoulder, it's pinching a nerve, and we got to fly all the way out to North Carolina. I've got to give the, the, the presidential address for the International Society of Christian Apologetics, and then we got to fly back. So so I'm getting better, but I just hope that the flights don't set me back. So just, just be praying for us and our health and that the, uh, uh, the presidential address goes well. And the International Society of Christian Apologetics, Norman Geisler, the late Norman Geisler, my friend and old, prof- old professor, he started it back in 2006 because the Evangelical Theological Society began to water down uh, the biblical doctrine of inerrancy, that the Bible is without errors in the original. So uh, so it's an important, very important uh, ministry, but it's really getting, it's hard to get off the ground because uh, a lot of apologetic rock stars are watering down the the Bible, and nobody wants to hold them accountable. So be in prayer for the conference as well. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, then we'll look into Paul's uh, first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I just, we, we just love you, Lord. And in the preaching of your word, if we don't get in the way, we get a sense of your presence. And so I pray that your your Holy Spirit would be with us, just as you were with us in the praise and worship and our prayers. You would be with us in the preaching of the word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man. I've told a lot of lies in my life, mostly before being saved. But we don't, these people that came here, they didn't come here, they could stay at home if they wanted fake news. They came here for your truth. And so I pray, Lord, you'd speak to us today through your word, that you'd cancel the man and anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that your spirit would open our hearts and minds to understand your truth and empower us to apply these truths to our lives so we can be more like your son Jesus and build your kingdom and live to bring him glory until that day when King Jesus takes his stand upon the earth to make things right. I pray, Lord, that the things of this world will become dim to us in the light of your son's glory and that we would see that Jesus is the solution. Jesus is our Savior, that we would not trust in ourselves, our own works, our own intelligence and wisdom, that we would not trust in the government, but that we would trust in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we would trust in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Peter, Paul, and John, the God of me and the God of the people. 
that are here. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Remember in chapter 1, Paul thanked God for the Thessalonian believers. He had planted the church about 50 A.D. and then had a flee due to persecution. And But he gave them a blessing of joy and peace. And I pray that blessing upon all of us, our church family and all true believers, that we would have God's joy and God's peace in the midst of the sufferings and the trials of this world. And it's going to get, man, I, I can't. Every time I look at it, yeah, I just like, I just hope and I pray that uh, the Lord protects you. Um, you know, you might say, well, you know, Pastor Phil, you're from New Jersey, you're half Italian, so the, the glass is always half empty and it's got a leak, you know, kind of pessimistic, but the things that are going to come down on the church in this country, just like the Things are coming down on the church throughout the world. Hundreds of thousands of Christians martyred each year for decades, and we just ignore it. Our media doesn't even talk about it. Things are going to get real real hot in the kitchen here in America. And uh, as your pastor, I really, I really pray for you, and I uh, love you. And, uh, and so I wish upon you joy and peace in the good days and in the bad days. Now Paul defends his ministry to the Thessalonians in verses 1 through 12. We looked last week. He said that he had a ministry of boldness and integrity. So Paul was bold in his proclamation of the gospel. He wasn't going to keep it to himself. Now some of us are like prayer warriors and we're real quiet and God doesn't call us to be loud. But we still got to be bold in whatever, whatever ministry God's given us, okay? Uh, but let's be honest. Some of us are not bold because we're ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed of Jesus. And, um, you know, I remember, gets right back to that, back in eighth grade at St. Al. I don't know why I keep thinking of my past and how the Lord was there and I didn't even know it. But uh, so I hope I don't bore you with these New Jersey stories. But we eighth grade, we had a fundraiser to take all us city kids to... Uh, um, dude Ranch in upstate New York. And I said, here, we were raising the funds to do it. And then when we got there, they put us on top of horses, and they're a lot bigger in real life. And so we were a bunch of city kids who were just terrified, and they tell us, if you, want, here's how you kick the horse and make it go. And I was like, hey, my horse can go wherever he wants to go. I'm not going to tick him off. So I was off in the woods. and But um, we were raising money through a car wash, and we were really tired. We were out there for eight hours. And we started cleaning up the stuff, figuring, well, there's only five minutes left. Nobody's going to come now. And then real far away, this real filthy car came. <clears throat> and uh, everybody started laughing and joking. Oh, what a disgusting car. I don't want to touch that car. That's just, oh, it's so horrible. And I was laughing with them and everything until the car got closer, and I realized it was my dad. Okay? And uh, uh, I washed my car because my... My wife makes me take it to the car wash, but my dad never washed his, and uh, and uh, and so I had a I had a choice to make in eighth grade. I could laugh at my dad with the kids and be ashamed of my dad, or I could acknowledge that my dad was the greatest man I ever knew, 
and I could stop laughing. I could be happy. I missed him. Eight hours on a Saturday, and I didn't even see him. And so I got to see him, so I was proud. The others laughed, but I didn't care less. Joe Fernandez was a small man, but he was a powerful man. Even, even a big-time mafia leader didn't want to mess with his sons. Out of respect for him. Powerful, powerful man. But, you know, I hope we're bold. On that day in eighth grade, I wasn't even a believer, but I was bold in my love for my father. But I hope as a grown man now and as a believer, I hope I'm bold for Jesus. And if the world wants to laugh, let them laugh. I'm going to praise and preach Jesus till he comes back in glory. Because I'm not ashamed. So don't be ashamed. Be bold. But you got to have a ministry of integrity. You got to be a man of your word. You got to be a woman of your word. Be a person of integrity. Paul also said it was a ministry of love and unselfishness. You know, remember, we don't even know what love means. We think the opposite of love is hate. The opposite of love is not hate. Love is seeking the greatest good for others without expecting anything in return. So love is unselfishness. So the opposite of love is selfishness. Okay? So as we minister to others, and all ministry is, you don't have to be an ordained minister to be a minister. If you're a believer, you're supposed to be a minister. We're a kingdom of priests. Ministry means service. And what do you serve? You know, we, we don't serve things, okay? We serve people. And so ministry is loving and serving people with the gifts God has given us, okay? Um, the gifts God has given you might... You might minister to the same person I'm ministering to in a totally different way. But you got to be bold, unashamed, be a person of integrity, and you got to have that ministry of love and um, unselfishness. Paul was so unselfish that we learned last week he didn't demand his rights as an apostle. Early on in the history of the church, the apostles were full-time. They dedicated their lives to the word of God and prayer. So if something needed to be done, they'd appoint deacons to do it so they could do that full time. Paul had that right. But when he went among the pagans, he was like, man, these guys are so far from God. If I ask for a little bit of money from them for me, take care of my needs, they're going to say he's just in it for the money. So Paul would tent make. He was bivocational. Technically, I'm bivocational, but what's my other job? Teaching the word to high school students. So I don't, I don't feel by vocation. I feel that's all I do all the time is teach people about Jesus. And then they give me a few weightlifting classes. And so the guys that want to be bad dudes end up respecting me because of weightlifting. And then all of a sudden they listen to me in Bible class. But um, um, the pastor right across the street there, a great guy, Pastor Olson, and uh, he sent me an email. I wanted to know if, if our... We wanted to go on prayer with them. I think you just go to the church there on one thirties. I forget if it's on Wednesdays. I'll get that information to you. But I had to tell them all, all of our elders, myself included, we're all bivocational. We're not free during that time, okay? So, uh, but that's the way Paul, Paul was like, I've got the right as an apostle, but I'm not going to exercise that right. Now, eventually the churches got so big that Paul even said that elders, especially those who teach the word, 
are worthy of double honor. So basically, you came in, don't muzzle the ox while it's eating grain. So basically, uh, full-time pastors are not, that's not a bad thing, okay? Um, You want a pastor to be focused on the hurts of his people, not to be worried about his next mortgage payment and stuff like that, okay? You want to free them up to study the word, okay? And... um, but whatever the case, uh, Paul was saying, look, I didn't, I didn't even demand my rights as an apostle, okay? And uh, that's how, mu- how unselfish he was and lo- how loving he was, okay? And then look at verse 7 where we left off. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. I'm like, man. I'm a guy. How can I even think of my relationship with people I'm discipling as mothering them, you know? But then I thought about what does a mother do? A mother, when it's an infant, the mother nourishes the baby and the mother protects the baby, okay? Uh, You can see motherly love even in the animal kingdom. Go outside and if you see some bear cubs, Try to play with them, and then you're going to meet mama, okay? And, um, and so we're supposed to take care of those who we lead to the Lord, and it, you, you nourish them with the word of God, and then you protect them from false teachers. It's just like the elder of a local church, Titus 1.9. We're supposed to not only exhort and encourage others with sound doctrine, but we're also supposed to be able to refute those who contradict, Okay? So it's kind of like the mother has like a pastoral role over the children and the father has the pastoral role over the whole household. And eventually you get churches with pastors and all. But Paul could say that he was so gentle to them, to these new believers, that it was like a mother to her infant. I try to think of my example. When was I real protective of somebody? And I'm, I'm always trying to teach people the word and trying to protect them from false doctrine. But as a new believer, this is probably the how not to mother a new convert, but there's only two guys in my life as a Christian that I met that I was convinced they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit and there was no chance for them to ever come to the Lord. Now, they both came to the Lord, but what they went through, I would not wish on anybody. Okay, one guy, big rigor, his house was under heavy supernatural demonic attack. Okay, and that's what brought him to the Lord. Okay, um, but the other guy was a guy, uh, John Catlin, uh, in the Marine Corps, and he was he was a kind kind of tough. But I I I think we both knew I could. Well, I felt I could whoop him, but he would get all violent, like he'd want to fight every time I shared Jesus with him. And so I reached the point where I said, well, I'll pray for him, but I think he's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. He would just so get so demonic every time I try to share Jesus with him. But then apparently he started, when I, so I gave up on him. But he dated a girl, an underage girl. He was probably about 19. She was like 17. And she, I guess she grew up in a Christian home, but he got her into, you know, bought, bought alcohol. You could get alcohol on base. Of, you know, you're just over 18 at that time. And, um, and so... They'd go out and they'd party, and so she was kind of backsliding. 
And he, he had a buddy who was driving a car who was drunk with his girlfriend and Catlin and his girlfriend were sitting in the back seat and they ended up getting in a horrible accident and got thrown from the vehicle. Catlin had uh, uh, lenses, what do you call them? The contact lenses and they got knocked out so he was blind. So he was crawling on the road and when he told me later, they used to call me Ferno. He said, Ferno, this was like a month or two later because he did some jail time and some brig time. He, he put his, he said, as soon as I put my hand on her chest, I knew she was dead. And then uh, the police show up and he's freaking out. So he starts fighting the cops. Not a good idea. So they take him to jail, lock him up in a cell, and then he's screaming that he's got to go use the restroom. And it's like, dude, you're a threat to our safety. So he ended up with the humiliation of peeing his pants in there too. And so he went to jail for a little while and then they sent him back to the Marine Corps. Then he did brig time. It's Marine Corps prison. And he gets a letter from this girl's mom. And, uh, and she forgave him and said that her daughter made her own choices, but she was convinced her daughter was saved and that her daughter was with Jesus. And then she shared the gospel message with him one more time. So Catelyn came and visited me when he got back from Greenback's Banger after getting out of the brig and, um, and read her letter to me. And then he looked at me with a tear streaming down his face. He said, Ferno, I can't fight it anymore. I can't fight it anymore. I need Jesus. And so I led him to the Lord, but he was like a little, there was just like a little, I don't know, something in his eyes where you could tell he was kind of lifelong damage from this incident. And so he, but he mellowed out a lot and would read the Bible all the time. And I remember we joined with another platoon because it was so, so many guys on Christmas vacation. We were guarding nuclear weapons at Bangor. And one of his old drinking buddies, the big redhead guy, was making fun of him because he was reading the Bible when we were having lunch. Now, and I, at that point, I was with a guy from Texas, a big weightlifter from Texas. We were driving around doing security you know, armed and all. And, uh, and I thought, man, a lot, how can, and I was a new believer. How can I witness to a guy from Texas? I'm from Jersey. We got nothing. To, I hate the way he talks. He hates the way I talk. And, you know, so we, we driving around like two hours of total silence. And then it was lunchtime. I just thought, man, I got no open door with this guy. So then we're, I'm sitting down next to him and we're eating real fast. We've got to go out. And it's the red haired guy from the other platoon starts making fun of Catlin because he had his Bible out. He said, what happened to you, Catlin? Man, he used to party with the best of us. And all you do is read the Bible and stuff and everything. And, and then he starts accusing him of being, like, wimpy because of it. Me being a new believer, I don't know. I never dealt with something like that. But I had that motherly instinct to protect. But I, I think I engaged in sin after that. But I, uh, and so I told the guy, I gave a speech to the guy. I said, look, I was a, I was a rough guy before I met Jesus, and now I'm even rougher. Now, I do not remember the words that I said. There were certain lines that I got, usually from Charles Bronson movies, if you wanted to, if you wanted to fight a guy. So I was kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if I asked and said, uh, you know, and now after meeting Jesus, I'm even rougher. Uh, you want to dance? You know, that's something like that, something really stupid. And the guy backed down from me in front of everybody, and we got done eating, and me and this guy's last name was Gail, or 
guy from Texas. I felt so bad. I felt like you know, I knew I had to protect Catlin from the guys he used to run with, but I also knew I sinned. And uh, so I walked out with this guy from Texas, big as a moose, big weightlifter, and I thought, Lord, I'm so sorry. Now I got no witness with this guy. So we went, got in the vehicle, went back on duty, and I'm driving. I'm, 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 I'm holding back tears because I'm thinking, man, Lord, I blew it. I blew it, Lord. And it's amazing. God, he works all things for our good, even the bad, stupid. That doesn't mean do stupid stuff, but when we do, ask forgiveness, but God will still some way work it for good because all of a sudden this guy from Texas, he starts lighting up and saying, he's saying, man, you're the kind of preacher I can listen to. You got the Bible in one hand. You got, you got a boxing glove on the other hand. I was like, and it opened the door for ministry with him. But to make a long story short, what was right was I was protective of that new believer. And he used to run with a rough crowd that I didn't think was t too rough or rough enough. And I needed to protect him from it. Now, could I have done that? You know, there's probably too much New Jersey in me and not enough Jesus in me. And I could have made better decisions, but it's that kind of protection that I looked at Catlin. Here's a guy that had gone to demonic fits when I shared the gospel message, but now he was a brother in Christ. But there was emotional damage and there was a frailty. And um, when you lead somebody to Christ, do you take the next step? Do you disciple them? And do you love them even to the point where you love them like a mother loves her child? Um, it's sad. I, I confess to you as a pastor that I was trying to think of examples, and I guess I got vague examples, but the only clear example that I could think of of me protecting a new believer is not actually... Uh, not actually bragging rights, okay? But whatever the case, Paul would say, you know what? I loved you so much and I was so gentle. I was as gentle to you as a mother is to her infant. We got some babies in the church. When you watch a mom holding her baby, does that look like a really good metaphor for you and somebody you recently led to the Lord? Or maybe you got relatives that are new believers. Do you really look like you're that protective of them? Because God's word says you should be. Now do it Paul's way, not uh, not Phil Fernandez's way, but do it Paul's way. Be gentle. And uh, verse 8, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. This is hard for America. We're so busy in America. We think we're wealthy, but everybody's got two or three jobs, okay? We're running to and fro. And uh, Paul's team shared the gospel, the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus to save us from our sins. He not only shared the gospel, but Paul's team, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they also shared their lives. Now, hear me out on this true discipleship. If, if you're really discipling somebody, Jesus Mega disciple 12 guys, and one was a traitor. So if you're trying to mega disciple over 12, like I'm trying to disciple everybody in this church with the help of the elders, but that's not like mega discipleship. 
We could do a little mega dis discipleship with the, the grumpy guys that come on Wednesday night and in smaller groups and stuff like that. But who are those people in your mission field? Your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, your neighbors. Who are those people that look to you for guidance? Because true discipleship is not just sharing the gospel. But it's also sharing your life with people. And we become so depersonalized because of the computer. You say hello to some somebody, they, they look at you like, man, this is a weirdo, man. What's it? What is uh what is his agenda? And it's just like I just said hello to another human being. We dehumanized ourselves. Uh, but are you sharing not only the gospel with those who look to you for spiritual guidance, but when they come to Christ, are you sharing your life with them? And this is not this is not an easy thing. You know, you don't want uh you don't want that situation where a married guy who's got five kids at home and his missus. Every single night of the week, he's going to different houses to disciple the guys he's leading to Christ, you know? So try to group them together if you can, or get help if you can. But true discipleship is not just sharing the gospel and teaching people. It's it, people have got to be learning by example. You got to do godly living. You got to be with the people, spend time with them. I remember, Mitch, we had we got together and met at Barnes & Noble, and you were kind of asking me, what's my formula for, like, leading people to Christ and everything? And I thought about it. It's like, I don't have a formula. I just wake up in the morning reading God's Word and having some prayer time. I tried to get filled with the Spirit so that it's natural to walk in the supernatural, and then I just tell everybody, God bless you. Now I say, God bless you and be safe, and... The Spirit of God moves some people into conversations with me and other people not. But but it was just one of those deals where um, getting to see people. You, know, you disciple somebody, you need to be serving Jesus and sharing your life with the people you dis disciple so that they're watching you, okay? I will say this. Guys ought to disciple guys and ladies ought to disciple ladies. Okay, uh, well, Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman at the well. Yeah, well, number one, he's Jesus. Number two, how did anybody find out about it? It was probably a teenager named John that heard the whole conversation. Okay, I think he was there when Jesus met with Nicodemus too. Okay, and uh, so keep, keep in mind, you know, um, but God's call is to disciple others. That means more than just sharing the gospel with them, you got to share yourself with them, okay? And uh, I, I praise God the first two years after I got saved that I was still in the Marine Corps because, believe me, I still had a foul mouth. I had a, God, God was changing me very rapidly, but not rapidly enough for the civilian world. And um, so I was glad that I actually had a ministry in the Marine Corps because guys didn't even notice. Even when I'd blow it, they didn't even notice it, Okay. Their sin detectors were like non-existent. And, um, but whatever the case, Paul's team, they shared their lives as well as the gospel. So true discipleship, sharing the gospel and your life with others. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. They labored day and night. 
not just witnessing the people, but Paul's even doing his tent making. He said, you know what? It's probably not going to be real good for my health. I'm probably not going to get enough sleep. But somebody's got to preach the gospel to these people. And so Paul and his team, they, they, labeled, they labored, worked day and night preaching and tent making. We, we Americans are so tied down to schedules, I don't even know any, any good answer for you. I get asked for people to, for me to, to, to help them, and they just can't fit it into my schedule. I got to delegate better. I love there's times that people come to me and I turn them over to, to Pat or to John or to Willis or to Josh. And um, I love that we got guys and gals. You know, ladies calls me up and she's hurting. If, if Kathy's hurting too much to talk, we'll get Kim McCarthy to talk to her. But, um, but we got to labor day and night, one way or another. I don't know how, America is just so, we're so into materialism, myself included. I don't know if there's any easy answers. But they did not want to be a burden to the Thessalonians, you know. Um, you can see Paul in, in Acts 18, Paul in Acts chapter 18. You know, people were probably hearing you know, when Paul would evangelize one town, people were hearing about that in another town. Then when Paul came there, it's like, wow, here's the celebrity. And the first thing he's doing is applying for a tent-making position. And they're like, wait a minute, we thought this guy was a celebrity, a rock star. And it's like, no. The apostle Paul is a humble servant of the Lord, and he would tent-make. But... Shortly after Thessalonians, you know, Paul goes to Mars Hill and preaches in Athens, and then he goes and plants the church in Corinth. So I just want us to look at that in Acts 18, starting at verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens. You know, he'd gone from Thessalonica to Athens uh, and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So Quilla and Priscilla, they became Christians, but they were Jewish, they became Christians, and so he meets them in uh, Corinth. Uh, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for, uh, and worked for by occupation, they were tent makers. So here's Paul, the rock star, and what's he doing? He's making tents and then preaching in his free time. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, so now Silas and Timothy, the team's getting back together, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. There's some passages in the book of Acts that seem to indicate that when Paul would tent make, when his buddies would show up, they, if they could, they would do the secular work, and that would free Paul to preach full-time. But Paul wasn't charging these new believers, okay? And he didn't want them to think he was just in it uh, for the money. But Paul said, though, he longed to see the Thessalonians again. So Paul had a ministry of boldness and integrity, a ministry of love and unselfishness. And now he's going to talk about in verses 10 through 12, he's got a ministry of blameless behavior. Look at verses 10 through 12 back in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly 
and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Now he's got not only motherly love, but even fatherly love, that you would walk, so he, so he so charged every one of them, as a father does his own children, that we would walk, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so Paul said he had a ministry of blameless behavior. He said the Thessalonians knew how devout, how devoted to God, devoted to God's word, and devoted to God's people. They knew how devout he was, how just he was. This was a righteous man, okay? And they knew how blameless he was, okay? Now, just think about that. I just, you know, just with me sharing my past experience, especially as a new believer, you could tell, I mean, you, there's a lot of times you couldn't say, well, you know, Corporal Fernandez was very devout, just, and blameless in his ministry. No, the, the Lord, boy, the Lord was gracious to me. But this is the kind of ministry we want. How devoted to God and his word are you? How devoted to God's people are you? How just are you? Are you obeying God's word or are you just kind of, I'll obey the commands that I like, just kind of ignore the ones I don't like? How blameless are you? You know, people people are watching big time. People are watching, even people that don't hear you and don't see you, they're watching you, okay? We've got to be devout, just, and blameless, just like Paul was. Paul and his team, they, they encouraged, they exhorted, they encouraged the new believers in Thessalonica, they comforted them. When was the last time you gave somebody a shoulder to cry on? Encouraged them, they comforted them, and they charged them. Okay? See, if you're just encouraging and comforting a baby believer, but you don't challenge them to higher ground, you're not really doing a thorough job of discipleship. It's like, I want to encourage you to be all that God called you to be. I want to encourage you to get out of your life um, of sin. I'm here to comfort you. As God has comforted me, I want to share that comfort with you. But I want to give you a charge challenge that a father would give to his son. You got to look at people. You got to understand, you know, you might lead some guy to Christ. You might think, man, this guy is a bag of worms. I'm sure when I was first led to Christ, there was probably a lot of people who thought, this dude's got issues. I'm not even sure he's really saved. And, um, but to really charge somebody, to really challenge them and encourage them to be all that God called them to be. You got to have the ability of Christ to see people not as they are, but as they could be through the grace and the power of God. Okay? And there were people 
early in my walk with the Lord, say he's loud, he's obnoxious. But some of those people say, you know what, though? God's got his hand on him. God can use this guy. Even when, when Jesus saw Peter, he called him rock. And it's like Jesus knew this dude was going to insert his foot in his mouth on a regular basis for the next three and a half years. And Jesus called him rock. You know, I remember watching Bill Parcells. He was from New Jersey. I like New Jersey guys. And he was coaching the Giants. They had him mic'd up for a game. And some big offensive lineman, you know, big 320-pound guy, they were like first and goal to go from the one-yard line, and he got called for holding. So now it's first and goal to go from like, what, 15 or 16-yard line back then. I don't know. I don't know what it is now. So he calls the guy off for a play. And he does typical New Jersey style. The guy's looking at him, big guy, and almost crying. 320-pound guy who could crush him, but this is his boss. His career's on the line. The guy was a rookie, I think, and Parcells told him, he said, don't make me look at you. You don't want me to look at you. And then Par Parcells chewed him out, but then at the end of chewing him out, he told him, now go out there and play, play like the pro bowler that I know you can be. And so the guy's almost crying, but as he's running out towards the huddle for the next play, what's he thinking? Is he thinking, oh, coach chewed me out, coach doesn't love me? No, he's thinking about coach Parcells as like a father figure. As he's running to the huddle, he's thinking, coach thinks I could be a pro bowler. Now, by the way, while that guy was running out, the other coaches were all laughing, and they say, pro bowler? And Parcells was laughing with him. But I think the next year, the guy made it to the Pro Bowl. When you lead people to Christ, or you meet new believers, do you see them as they are? You know, Jesus could have said, um, let's see, uh, he could have looked at Simon and said, uh, man, this guy's going to be so up and down. I'm going to call you wishy-washy. I don't know what the word, and look that up. Pat, find a word of wishy-washy wishy in, the, in the Hebrew. But Jesus looked at him and said, Jesus looked at him and said, I'm going to change your name to Rock. Jesus wasn't seeing the guy who denied him three times. He wasn't seeing the guy that Satan spoke through and rebuked Jesus because Jesus was talking about dying. He was seeing the guy on the Feast of Pentecost that preached and 3,000 people get saved. He was seeing the guy who would be beaten and battered for preaching the gospel and eventually crucified upside down. So when we disciple people, yes, we have to encourage them. Yes, we have to comfort them, but we also have to charge them like a father, a loving father does with his children. Okay? A, lo a loving father, you know, my dad looked at me, I don't know, it was a big thing with the Portuguese, the... I was the oldest son of the oldest son of the oldest son. And three of us in a row were born in the beginning of decades, 1890, 1920, and I was born in 1960. Being born January 1st, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but my father was convinced there was something special for me. 
and he encouraged me. He believed in me when there was no evidence whatsoever that I was going to turn out to be anything but a loser. And uh, he challenged me. He charged me. Do you give a charge? Do you challenge the people that you're discipling and call them to be all that God called them to be? You know, Paul says, like a father does to his children. Do you realize that prison fellowship that was headed by the late Chuck Colson? They said that when you, when they're ministering in prisons, you know when it's Mother's Day if you go to the gift shop in the prison. Because there's Mother's Day, it's, it's looked like a gift shop anywhere. There's Mother's Day cards all over the place. But he said you would never know it was Father's Day when you walk into a gift because almost nobody in that prison had a dad that was there for them, that encouraged them, that comforted them, but also charged them to be on higher ground. Okay? Um, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that we're not producing spectators here. God has not called you and he's not called me to be a spectator. He's called us to be warriors. And so how are we going to know that unless we disciple one another and charge one another? I got a Facebook message from a guy. I don't even know who it is. Some guy listens. I think the guy was from Spain. And he gives me all this big encouraging thing, but he's right in the middle of it. It was one two-word sentence, aim higher. Aim higher. And so I, I wrote back to the guy and thanked him for the encouraging word, but I asked, what, what did you mean by aim higher? I, and he just said, no, I, I just have a ministry. I encourage others, and I know nobody's exactly where God's called them to be. You need to aim higher. And um, so I'm praying for the Lord. And in the next day of devotion, uh, Pastor Walters, one of our teachers there, and and he talked about, taking risks that sometimes we just don't want to get out on a boat. You know, the only, only two guys walked on water. They were both Jewish. Now one happened to be God, but the other guy was who we would call wishy-washy, but Jesus called him rock. He said, Jesus, if that's you, command me to walk on the water. Now, when I read that the first time I was like, I would never, <laughs> if there's a storm and I see a guy, I'm not going to, Jesus, if that's you, command me to walk on the water. And then he's out there walking on the water. Again, he's wishy-washy, looks at the, the waves and all, and then starts sinking and said, Jesus, save me, and Jesus pulls him up. But um, how come I don't spiritually walk on the water? I'm speaking metaphorically too, by the way. Um, how come spiritually you don't walk on water? Providence we're staying in the boat. We're not taking godly risks that God has called. But anytime you try to share your faith with someone, you're taking a risk. You might alienate that person. That person might even hit you. Okay. Um, they might say mean things to you. The day might come sharing your faith with somebody might get you locked up in this country. 
okay? Um, but we got to take those godly risks. Sometimes God is calling us to get out of the boat, okay? doesn't surprise me that when Jesus was arrested, everybody else was still in the boat. They were hiding under beds. But Peter was there, went behind enemy lines in the high priest's courtyard, and then denied Jesus three times. And um, But John went all the way to the cross with Jesus. Sometimes we don't spiritually walk on water because we're staying in the boat. And uh, we need to encourage one another, comfort one another, but also charge one another. Okay? I don't, th- I don't think there's anybody here, myself included, that could honestly say, I am absolutely being all that Christ has called me to be right now. God's calling us all to higher ground, and we need to be charged with that, challenged with that. But I tell you, pray, pray, Lord, uh, magnify my ministry, the ministry you've given me. Help me to reach more people. Help me to disciple more people. Help me to serve more people. Bring me to higher ground. Keep in mind, though, when you pray that prayer, you're probably not ready for the higher ground. You want to go up the steps of spirituality? When you pray a prayer like that, God says, okay, okay, Phil. You want to be on higher ground? You want to serve me? That's great, but you're not ready for it, so now I got to do some work on you. I got to do some spiritual surgery, and it might not be fun. It's like praying for humility, okay? God will give you humility. He'll humble you, but it's, it's literally humiliating. And, um, but pray that God takes you to higher ground, but also encourage those you disciple and charge them to be on higher ground we gotta, we got to be like a father and a mother to those we disciple. And he, Paul challenged them to walk worthy of God who called them into his kingdom. God called us into his kingdom. That's not like, I mean, if you got drafted by the Seahawks and got called into the Seahawk organization, that would be a big deal. That's nowhere near as big as being called into the kingdom of God. What if you got drafted by the Seahawks and you just stood there, you're uh, a linebacker, you just stood there and you didn't do your job. You just let guys run with the ball past you and, you know, and stuff like that. That would be horrible. You'd get kicked off the Seahawks in a heartbeat. But some of us, we get called into the kingdom of God and that's pretty much what we do. We get called into the kingdom of God do we walk worthy with that call? Or are we just taking up space? Start your day studying the Bible and in prayer, maybe a little praise and worship if you can. Be filled with the Spirit and, and, and start walking worthy of God who called us into his kingdom. We got to be faithful in fulfilling the ministry God has given us, ministry of serving people with the gifts God has given us. Now, verses 13 through 16, Paul prays for the spiritual growth for the Thessalonians. Verse 13, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, 
because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Okay, so Paul, Paul's team, they thank God for the Thessalonian believers. They prayed for them without ceasing. He's even going to tell them in chapter 5, to just pray without ceasing. We ought to be praying all the time. Even when you're at work and you're working hard, you ought to be praying, talking to the Lord. He prayed for them, thanked God for them, and prayed for them without ceasing because they received Paul's preaching as what it was, the word of God, not as the mere wisdom of man. I mean, Greek philosophy, the wisdom of man, had saturated that area. But they understood when Paul was talking, it wasn't Paul talking. He was proclaiming the word of God. I hope and pray from this pulpit. I'm not infallible. The Bible is. I'm not inerrant. The Bible is. I'm not totally truthful. The Bible is. But I hope as a general statement that when I preach God's word and when the other elders preach God's word, that people will receive it as the word of God and not as the mere wisdom of man. I'm telling you, if you look at the movers and shakers and see what the wisdom of man wants the future to look like, it is not pretty. It is not pretty at all. So I'm looking at human beings created in God's image so human life is sacred and we're fallen and we need to be saved by the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. That's what I believe I'm looking at. You realize the movers and shakers of this world, when they're looking at you, they think they're looking at data. They've got this kind of computerized view of the world where we're just data and you can delete some of the data if you need to. Okay? Um, eventually, they're going to try to have everything done through AI, artificial intelligence, and the lower human beings, us, are going to be useless. Why? Because they're trying to replace God. But if God exists, you're not useless. You're created for the purpose of serving him. You're on a mission from God. So no human being is worthless in the eyes of God, but we are being viewed worthless by the... Uh, uh, Yuval Harari, I can't remember the guy's name, and uh, Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab, and believe me, President Biden is on board with them. There's an ugly, ugly future. I'll, I'll try to, hopefully they'll record, I'm giving a, a lecture again on uh, the arrival of Nietzsche's supermen. They're here. It's demonic, it's ugly, the plans for the future. And um, so hopefully we'll get a recording of that. But um, no, uh, this is not the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man doesn't love you. The wisdom of man says if you're useless to the government, to the leaders, the dictators, there's no purpose for you. There's no use for you. But this is the word of God. If we believe that we're created in his image and we have human rights. And um, 
And so how, how do you receive the word of God? When you hear the word of God, do you receive it as the word of God? Or you say, ah, I don't know. I used to, I used to have one lady, she was a Christian, and all, but she'd say, well, what do, you, what do you think about this? And I'd show her in the Bible four or five passages and show her what the Bible says. And she'd be like, oh, I don't know. I'll talk to so-and-so. Talk to, and, and the lady would talk to her friend because she didn't like what the Bible said. And her friend was better at taking verses out of context than, than I am. So eventually she'd get something she wants to hear. Hey, um, you know, Plato said some remarkable things. Aristotle said some remarkable things. So I'll consider them. I'll weigh them. I'll think about them. But Plato's not infallible. Aristotle's not infallible. The Word of God is. Don't, don't play games with God's word. And, uh, and then he said that God's word works effectively in those who believe, um, which also effectively works in you who believe. Okay? Really think about it. Is the word, is the word of God effective in your life? Is the word of God really transforming your life? Because it Jesus said, if you believe, God's word is going to have good effects on you and it's going to change you from Mr. Wishy-Washy to Mr. Rock. Okay? We got to look in the mirror. We got to look at God's word and then we got to look in the mirror. We got to say, hey, is if I'm really a believer, God's word is effectively working in me and through me. Okay? Um, you know, and there's some quiet Christians, and that's that's fine if you're a quiet Christian and all, but do what God's called you to do. Some people are so quiet that you could do a two-year investigation on them and still not figure out that they're Christians, okay? And, um, You know, sometimes people are surprised to find out, oh, you're a Raider fan? You live in the Pacific Northwest and you're a Raider fan? That's hard to believe, okay? And um, so some people are surprised to find out I'm a Raider fan. I hope nobody's surprised to find out I'm a Christian. I hope even if I never opened my mouth that I would be serving people and loving people with the love of the Lord that when they find out I'm a Christian, they say, I expected that. I just heard a video, watched a video, one of my students gave, sent it to me, a video of a guy who won American Idol, a Hawaiian guy, and his dad had just died. He was 18 years old, and his dad had died just a few years, uh, just a few months earlier. A very, very touchy seven-minute video, and uh, really bring, brings you to tears. And um, But then he sent me another video, of the guy, that same guy, Hawaiian guy, singing about Jesus is our peace. It didn't surprise me in the least. I saw the love that this young guy had for his deceased dad. I suspected this guy's probably a Christian. Let me tell you something about Hawaiian, male Hawaiian Christians. I don't know what it is about them, but they are all in. doesn't matter if they're in the NFL or, um, I can name a whole list of them. They produce some godly quarterbacks, but um, and some 
linemen and linebackers, but they're all in. But if somebody spent a day with you and God didn't lead you to talk about Jesus with them, would they suspect, hey, you know, something different about this guy? And then when they find out you're a Christian, they would realize, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Why does it make sense? Because God's word works effectively in and through those who believe. Okay? Psalm 119.11, Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Why do we sin so much? Because we don't treasure God's word in our hearts. And, uh, and let me just go one, one passage and we'll close. We'll pick it up there in a, in a few weeks because we got, we got Palm Sunday and Easter coming up. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 13. The God who created the universe loves you so much that he not only gave his son to die for you, but he also gave us 66 books that we call the Bible. God is faithful to us. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So when you're being tempted and tested, you think, why me? It's only happening to me. No, it's happening to everybody, dude, okay? But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it, okay? See, God, through his word and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God and his word work effectively in and through those who believe. Grace saves, but grace also changes lives. Okay? If you're the same rotten person you were before you profess faith in Christ, you need to examine yourself to see if you really are. In Christ, but God's word effectively, it works effectively in those who believe. Is it working effectively in your life? Um, key words there in that whole passage, big passage about temptation, God is faithful. So when you sin and when I sin, who is faithless? It's us. Because God is faithful. And the faithful God who has saved us, through his word, he is at work in our lives, renewing our minds through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through studying his word. He's transforming us. Jesus, the Lord Jesus, when he looks at us, he doesn't see us the way we are. He sees us as the way we could be if we would just surrender our lives to him. It's a fatherly charge that we need to give to those whom God has given us the disciple. And so I leave you today with the charge. Yesterday's victories, last year's victories, that's this year's mediocrity. You got to be all that God called you to be.
through his word, through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be all that God called you to be. Don't settle for anything less. God's word effectively works in those who believe. Be a man of the word, be a woman of the word, and allow God to transform you so that people will see that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is working his kingdom work through you right now. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray that it works effectively in me and in the lives of everyone here. I pray that we all acknowledge that we're sinners. We cannot save ourselves. And so we trust in your son, Jesus alone, for salvation. He is God the son become a man. He took our punishment for us when he died on the cross for our sins. He conquered death when he bodily rose from the dead. And we know that your son is coming back. And so while this country and the other countries of the world are dismissing Jesus and opening the doors for the old pagan gods to come back, demonic spirits coming into our culture. While all this is going on and our freedoms start evaporating and inflation happening and our dollar losing its worth and China and Russia getting together against us, with all the bad things that are happening in this world, Lord, we know you're faithful. We know you keep your promises and you tell us that your word effectively works in all those who believe. Please, Lord, do your work in our lives so that we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory, the powerful kingdom work that you have called us to do. Lord, prepare us for the trying times ahead and someday give us a glimpse of not who we are, but who we could be if we just surrender our lives to you and your spirit and allow you to transform us and change you. The only thing good that can be said about any of us, Lord, those were the changes you made in our lives. Change us, Lord. May we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you. May we allow your spirit and your word to transform us and to renew our minds so that we would not conform to the pattern of this world. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.